<clears throat> In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the, uh, the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Jearshashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramaliah has excuse me, devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. This is the word of the Lord. My guess is that some of those verses are really familiar to a lot of us, and some of them not so much. Um, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Um, we're familiar with this. We've heard that before, but when's the last time that you looked at that in context and paid attention to the context? That's what I want to do this morning for a little bit. Um, let's consider the context. Ahaz is the new king of Jerusalem. He's over the kingdom of Judah. Last week, we remembered that um, at a time in the history of God's people around, I think it's 925 BC or so, the, the, the kingdom split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And so um, Ahaz has just become king of the southern kingdom, Judah. And last week we remembered that um, uh, Jerusalem is, is now the capital of this southern kingdom. 
Well, he has just learned, King Ahaz has learned that Jerusalem is, is like under imminent attack Syria, by Syria and Ephraim, which, remember, is another name for the northern kingdom, Israel. So basically, you've got God's people, the northern kingdom, joining forces with Syria to wage war against God's people in the south, Judah. For Ahaz, this is a really bad way to start a new job. Uh, it's, like, it's like just starting to run a company, and then you discover that you're about to go bankrupt and be turned over to the creditors, only it's much worse because uh, here, they're not just about to go bankrupt, they're about to be like enslaved or murdered. So Ahaz isn't happy, and neither are God's people. In fact, look again at verse 2. When the house of David, that's the southern kingdom, was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So that's some serious shaking. I mean, these, these people are absolutely terrified. They're like gripped by this gut-wrenching fear. What does Ahaz do? Uh, the king of Judah, the leader of the last remaining faithful remnant of God's people, does he call a prayer meeting? Does he fast? Does he go up onto his roof and, I don't know, what do you do when you really want God's attention? Like strip off all your clothes and just cry out to God for help? No, he doesn't do any of that. I don't know. What do you do, Landon, when you really want, when you really want God's attention? No. Um, what he does is he goes to Assyria and he tries to cut a deal. One of the biggest superpowers of the time, Assyria, he tries to negotiate an alliance with them. You can read about this. Uh, it's, it's not as clear in our passage, but you can read about this in 2 Kings chapter 16. Ahaz sends messengers to the king of Assyria, and this is what they tell him. On, on behalf of Ahaz, the king of Judah, they say to the king of Syria, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord uh, in the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. So that's remarkable, isn't it? That um, Ahaz is facing trouble and instead of like crying out to God for help, he basically goes to the king of Assyria and treats the king of Assyria like God says, I'm your servant, I'm your son, and here's all of my treasure. He's seeking, if I can just get this big army from Assyria to protect me, then we'll be okay. So that gives some of the context. And into that context, Isaiah is speaking into this tragic situation. He's pleading with Ahaz not to do this, um, not to cut this deal, not to establish an alliance with Assyria. He's saying, I know you're afraid. I know you're afraid. I know that it looks like you're about to be like absolutely destroyed, but God is with you. God has your back. God will rescue you. You don't have to be afraid. He's saying, put your trust in the Lord. Look at verse 9. If you are not firm in your faith, if you don't put your trust in the Lord, uh, you will not be firm at all. You won't stand. But Ahaz won't listen, and he won't trust in the Lord. It's like, it, it's sometimes hard to trust in God when we can't see God, we can't always feel God, we can't touch God, and then you look out your window and there's the king of Assyria, and you can see how powerful he is. You can see what he's capable of doing. Is this just about Ahaz's family? 
or is this about you and me? Is this just about God's people back then and there, or is it about God's people right here, right now, today? Um, you know, what we see in Ahaz is actually like the universal struggle of the human heart. Think back to Genesis 1. Adam and Eve, they had this perfect relationship with God, um, in God's presence, relying on God for everything. And then comes the serpent, the enemy of God, and he comes to humanity, remember, with a lie. Uh, and the lie, in essence, is that God isn't for you, that God doesn't love you, that God won't care for you, um, that God really doesn't have your best in mind, that God isn't really with you. And Adam and Eve believed that poisonous lie. They, they feared for their lives and for their future. And so in taking that fruit, they were basically taking their lives into their own hands. And they were turning away from the one who loves them. And Ahaz, you see, is just following in their footsteps. The circumstances are different, but the basic issue of his heart is the same. He believes the same lie that they believe, that God isn't really for me, that God can't be trusted to take care of me, that God isn't really with me, that he doesn't love me, that he isn't there. And at the root of so many of our problems is this poisonous lie. And I wonder how you might be tempted to believe it this morning. Maybe in your worry about your health, your future, the future of your children. Maybe like in your restless, relentless pursuit of more money, more possessions, in some attempt to secure um, a future for yourself. Maybe in your efforts to cultivate a beautiful image or a beautiful reputation before others to push away like these deep feelings of insecurity that you wrestle with. Maybe in your attempts to control circumstances and people and colleagues and, and maybe even your spouse, like just to get the outcomes that you want from life. I mean, just like Ahaz, we can make these unholy alliances with people, sometimes with behaviors, with attitudes, that turn us away from God in an effort to find security for ourselves apart from him. Ahaz believed that ancient lie of the serpent, and so often we do too, that God isn't really good, that God isn't really trustworthy, that God doesn't really love us, that God is not really with us and for us. I wonder how different would your life be if you believed that God loved you, that God was trustworthy, that God was more present to you than your very breath. How much peace, how much freedom, how much contentment and joy We'll go back to our passage. Look at what Isaiah says to Ahaz. I mean, this is fascinating. Um, he says, ask for a sign. Ask God for a sign. He's saying, it's like Isaiah is saying, this will help you to reject the lie. Ask God for a sign. Now, usually, uh, you know this, maybe in scripture, asking for a sign is not a good thing. Very often scripture holds asking God for a sign up as a negative, as a, as a sign of a lack of faith. And so the classic example is Gideon and the fleece. And, and some of us growing up have heard teaching about that, that like, oh, this is actually like a wonderful biblical model for um, seeking discernment from God, you know. But if you look at the context there, no, Gideon is doing this just because he is refusing to trust God's promises. Like God has already said what God will do, and Gideon is like, eh, I'm not so sure. I'm, I, need, I need a sign. 
It's, it's, a, it's a, not a sign of trusting God, but it's a sign of testing God. Well, here, through the prophet Isaiah, God is inviting that. He's saying, ask for it. Ask for a sign. Um, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. It's remarkable. Because it looks like God is basically saying, Ahaz, uh, look, you have nothing to fear and to prove it to you, I will give you any sign you want. I mean, isn't that what God is saying? Let it be as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol. I mean, in, in, in Isaiah's worldview, what else is there? And that's as high as you can go and as deep as you can go. That's, that is God saying, ask for anything and it's yours. It can be as high as heaven, in other words, higher than you can possibly imagine, or it can be as deep as Sheol, deeper than the darkest, deadest depths. And Ahaz won't do it. He refuses. And he masks his refusal in pious language about not wanting to put God to the test. But here, God is just saying, ask. Ask for a sign. And Ahaz refuses. And that's how like, deep this poisonous lie has gone into his heart. Like He would rather trust his own strategy with the Assyrians than to trust this one who is saying, you can ask me for anything, and it's yours. Well, at that point, Isaiah could have walked away, um, but the word of the Lord, it's like it won't let him. It keeps coming. And, and so he basically says, fine, you won't ask for this sign, but the Lord's going to give you a sign anyway. Verse 14, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, when our minds hear this, we immediately rush to Christmas. It's still Advent, though. It's not Christmas yet. Um, first, before we rush to Christmas, let's just try to hear what the prophet is saying to, to Ahaz in that context. Because he, he wasn't immediately talking about the incarnation of the Son of God. Uh, even though, from our perspective, we can look back and, and see that, yes, he was talking about that too. But in, in the immediate context, it looks to be pretty clear, and then you can see this, especially if you read verses 14 through 16, that Isaiah's message is something like this. Like, in a relatively short amount of time, in the time it takes a woman to bear a baby, and before that baby reaches an age where it knows the difference between right and wrong. So, you know, somewhere in the very early years of a child's life, so we're talking like, what, two to three years. Within that time frame, the crisis that is currently consuming you will have passed. It, it won't be a thing anymore. In a short time, these nations that make Ahaz and God's people quake with terror, they just won't even be around. They'll be like smoldering stumps. Isaiah is saying, this threat that you fear, this threat that just like grips you with this gut-wrenching terror, it's fleeting. It's momentary. It, it's not the end. It's just a little blip on the radar screen that will soon go away. Um, Isaiah is saying, uh, hang in there. Stand firm in faith. The woman, 
to name this baby Emmanuel because in such a short time, it will just be proved. It will be evident for you to see that God is with you. And so don't worry about Ephraim. Don't worry about Syria. Their time is short. And to prove it to you, here's a sign, this baby, and its name is Emmanuel. God is with you. Well, (laughs) that's not what Ahaz was hoping for. He might be wondering, maybe, if he can have another chance (laughs) to ask for a sign of his choosing, (laughs) something maybe a little more powerful than a baby with a name. I mean, when you're facing down two armies that want to destroy you, you might not think that a baby with a name is the sign that you really need. Uh, It's not what Ahaz was hoping for, um, but of course it is actually exactly what he needs. He needs this name. He needs this name. He, He needs the good news that this name brings. Emmanuel, God is with us. And family, don't you know that we need this too? I mean, this is the antidote for that poisonous lie of the serpent. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Over and over again in the Old Testament, we see God coming alongside his people with this promise, doing everything God can to help his people trust the truth and reject the lie. So think of in Exodus when God comes to Moses, who is so fearful of going before Pharaoh, and he says, don't worry, Moses, like, I will be with you. I will be with you. You can think of God coming to Joshua, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Um, You can think of God coming to Jeremiah. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. You can think back to Psalm 23. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for what? You are with me. You, God, are with me. Like over and against the poisonous lie that humans have believed through the ages, God says again and again, here is the truth, Emmanuel. I am with you. I love you. I care for you. I will rescue you. I am with you. And look, um, these aren't mere words. You know, sometimes we tell people that we'll be there for them, and then we never show up. But God backs his talk up with action. And so an angel does come and visits a little teenage girl, not even old enough to drive, and tells her that though she has not yet been with a man, she will be pregnant and give birth to a son. In Matthew chapter 1, we read this, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I mean, this is how committed God is to combating the poisonous lie in your life and mine. Um, He doesn't just speak the promise. He becomes the promise. In the incarnation, we see the fulfillment of the sign that God invited Ahaz to ask for. I mean, God said, you can ask for this. I mean, think about it. Ask for a sign. Let it be as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol, um, unimaginably high or impossibly deep. And so we remember Jesus, the Son of God, who comes from the highest heavens, who lives for us, who dies for us, who actually goes and descends to the darkest depths of hell for us in our place. Emmanuel, God with us everywhere and always, 
like even in the deepest, darkest valleys. There was an old preacher in the 17th century named Lancelot Andrews. We need more people named Lancelot these days. Like, what happened? That's a great name. Bring it back. Let's bring it back. Lancelot. On Christmas Day in 1614, he preached a sermon to the king of England in his court. And in that sermon, he, uh, he just goes on and on about the etymology of the name Emmanuel. And I, I'm not like a linguist. I don't really know if this is even how words work. But I like what he says. Um, he says, when you break it down, well, I do know this is, this is true. This is true as far as it goes. He says, when you break it down, Emmanu means with us and El means God. And so, he, and so he starts to riff on this in his 17th century kind of way. And, and he comments on like how amazing it is that in his name, with us, is placed before God. It's not El Imanu. And, and sometimes God's names are like that, right? You think El Shaddai. Like, it's not El Imanu, it's Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Lancelot Andrews says this. He is the with us God. He puts us first in his name, just as he did in his life. Though El, that is God, is the principal part of the word Emmanuel, there is a meaning in it. And what can it be but this, that in the very name we might read that we are dearer to him than himself, that he so preferred us and that his own name does no less. We are a part of God's name. We are the forepart of it. And he is the latter. He is behind and we are before. What was greater, his humility or his love? It is hard to say both are unspeakable. Oh, how he loves us. See it in his very name. He is the with us God and he has proven it not just in like countless words of promise, but ultimately by becoming the promise. He proves it in the incarnation itself. So family, here is the antidote for that poisonous lie. And I wonder, will you receive it? Will you take it in? Jesus' whole life is about giving this to us, to give us the very love and presence of God. Do you remember how, so Matthew ends with this name, Matthew begins with this name, the Gospel of Matthew. And you remember how Matthew ends um, with Jesus saying to his disciples, surely I am with you always to the very end of the world, to the very end of the age. That is his promise, and you and I can receive it today. Um, I wonder what you have facing you in the coming days and in the coming week. Whatever it is and whatever you fear, will you take this simple name with you, Emmanuel? Take it as a promise for you to claim for yourself. Um, how do you need this promise? Emmanuel, God is with you. Are you facing pain and illness and cancer, migraines, or, or some other just chronic physical battle that doesn't seem to end? Emmanuel, God is with you. Are you facing loss? The loss of a dream, the loss of a home, the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a parent, the loss of a friend, Emmanuel, God is with you. Are you facing the deterioration of a relationship? 
maybe a marriage that just seems to be hanging on by a thread, a friendship where there's estrangement and alienation, like just this sorrow of relational pain, like Emmanuel, God is with you. Are you facing anxiety and fear, uncertainty about the future, uncertainty about how God will provide for you, if God will provide for you? Emmanuel, God is with you. Are you facing temptation? Like a battle with a behavior or an attitude that you just can't seem to stop, can't seem to shake. You're feeling trapped by it and enslaved by it. Emmanuel, God is with you. Have you fallen into guilt and shame and regret? Emmanuel, God is with you. just go on for another hour um, speaking that into one another's lives like whatever you face this week family whatever you face whether it be as high as heaven or as deep as hell God is with you Emmanuel John Wesley um, the founder of Methodism a writer of wonderful hymns. He died on March 2nd, 1791. And um, at the end, when nearly all of his strength was gone, his reported last words were this, the best of all is God is with us. The best of all. I mean, Wesley died with that on his lips. Like, imagine what would it look like for us to just live with that every day in our hearts? God is with us, Emmanuel. I think this week there's an invitation for us to practice um, bringing this reality to our minds and to our hearts. You know, it's always true, but we so often live like it's not true simply because we haven't practiced um, bringing it to our minds, bringing it to our hearts, Emmanuel. God is with you. Um, it's a promise for us to claim. It's also a promise for us to pray for others. And um, I want to actually, we, we, didn't, we haven't had our community time of prayer yet, but I'd like to move into a time of community prayer when we can not only claim this promise for ourselves, but but pray it for each other. And there, there are people in this room who we need to pray for. There are people who would usually be with us, but can't. And we need to lift them up and pray this name for them. And then let's just, let's just spend some time lifting up um, the needs of our city and country and world as, as the Spirit brings them to mind. So let's move into a time of community prayer.